Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds, between squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. The best dog that uh, I hunted more and understood more and everything was probably old Ruff. Okay, well, and he was the sorriest reproducer that I ever had. <laughs> well, as far as since you said he was the best he, dog you ever had, what was a good hunt you had with Ruff? I just saw yeah, a picture of Ruff uh, being a bear. I was doing, yeah, I, was doing some I research. used him. I used to I used to hunt for a living, and I took him every day. Okay. People would come from everywhere to watch him fight a bobcat. Uh, he would bay a bear, and uh, and he saved me a lot of times. A bear would be about to get me. He'd go in and grab it by the rear end, turn it around. Good I guess uh, about the funniest story I can remember, I was a Hunting an old boy that had a uh, bow and arrow, and he shot all his arrows into the uh, into the bear. And uh, the old bear just reached around and get them and spit them out. <clears throat> Handed that bow to his uncle. He had a little short uncle with him, and he hung it around his neck. And he had a camera. He was uh, taking a movie of all that. The bear, uh, he had that around his neck, and the bear come off of the hill and run right up his face. He didn't know how close he was looking to that camera, and he turned around and run. Got hung, uh, hung between two trees, and it was just a playing with him backwards and forth. That bow had him <laughs> and uh, strung up. He was screaming. Oh, uh, the bear was right on him, and Ruff grabbed the bear, and it sat down, and the, the bear's back was touching the man. <laughs> and he, he looked around, all he could see was fur. He looked like he was wearing a fur coat. That's funny. And with uh, uh, well, that guy handed him the, the bow, had a pistol he was shooting it with. Finally, he got killed, and that man called me everything, like I said, but a country gentleman. <laughs> and, I, and I had to lay down life. What's he mad at you for? He couldn't hit the bear with a bow very well, and then and then put the bow down to take a video. Well, that ain't your fault. Uh, no, but he, <laughs> I was just supposed to save him, I reckon. <laughs> well, your dog did, so it's all right. <laughs> Yeah, that story was in her yearbooks. Somewhere floating around. I hadn't seen it in a lot of years, but that was a pretty good story, I thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, no, that's funny. So, well, let's introduce you since uh, after that. So, I'm here tonight with Robert Kemmer. Robert Kemmer is the founder of the Kemmerstock Mountain Cur and the Kemmerstock Breeders Association. How are you doing tonight, Robert? I'm doing great for old man. So, you know, you heard my last podcast with Daryl Fry, and your daughter actually sent me a message with your phone number. So that's how we got hooked up. And what did you think of that last podcast? I liked it. And 
glad to hear old Darrell's voice. He sounds just like he did 30 years ago, and <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear him. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, I just called him out of the blue. I was curious about his dogs, so kind of sprung it on him. So I'm glad uh, yeah. you liked it and you thought it did your dog some justice, so we'll even give him a little bit more of a platform here tonight, and we'll let, we'll find out a little bit more about him. Okay. Um, old Daryl's been a really big help to this breed of dogs. So he's known worldwide what a hunter he is. Oh yeah, like, I like to get my breed of dogs in people's hands like him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, I've only raised a couple litters of puppies, and you know, that's always my objective is to get them into the hands of people that are going to hunt them. And there's been a few that it's you know, like I said, I've only raised literally a couple litters, and. I'm giving puppies away to people that I know will hunt them. And my wife's like, what are you doing? You got money wrapped up in all this. And I'm like, doesn't matter. I said, I want them dogs hunted. That's what matters. Yeah. Uh, I tell everybody there's three things that'll make a dog or ruin a dog. And uh, a lot of people don't like that statement. And that's the handler, the handler, the handler. You're not wrong, because I know that I can make them or break them. Because that that statement's been very true in my life. I've ruined a few. Yeah. So, when did you get started with these old mountain curves? I had the first one. I was just uh, just real young, way before even school age. Okay. Went to my uncle's on a Christmas and had a fit. He had a litter of pups. I had a fit for one. And, uh, <laughs> and I kept him about 14 years. Okay. And I was very sick at that age. Had Bright's disease and I don't know what all. And my parents let me bring him to the house. I treat cats on the curtain with him. <laughs> Got an early education. Yeah, yeah. We always had old cur dogs on the farm. Uh, they'd do anything we wanted them to do. They, when you let them run loose one on one, they get as smart as people. Mm-hmm. I've heard that, and honestly, I, I wish I could let the, my dogs run loose. I think a lot of guys do. Yeah, them days are gone. Uh, Unfortunately, for most of us, I kept them till. Till I went in the service and I had three dogs or my family did running loose on the farm and they got staying treat all the time and people knew it and they just went to the tree and got them. Gotcha. And when I come back, I got the old rough dog. That's where I started with the registered okay. mount cur dogs. Now, about what year was that? That was in 67. Okay. So is is that when you started breeding your dogs? Yeah, I'd always raise pups and give them away and everything. Uh, but uh, I, shortly after that, I started uh, started breeding them uh, because I was uh, hunting for a living and uh, had to have a lot of dogs. What were you hunting? We hunted a lot of a lot of wild boar, and, and you go out there and you get your pack cut up one day, and they're all tarred and sore, and 
injured, and you have to have some freshened for the next day. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. I've, I've went hog hunting one time, and it was funny. They they had two packs of dogs, and first pack ended up on a bear, and we had to go back and get the second pack and go run a hog with with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we always patched them up. We got one cut. Mm-hmm. We just run it to the vet, and get it fixed, and uh, had their jugular veins cut and everything, and saved them. But wow, it's that's amazing impressive. how tough a dog is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've got a friend that's a vet, and uh, she bear hunts. And some of the stories of, of bear dogs that she's patched up, and it's impressive what they can live through. Now, did you ever? Yeah. Now, did you ever hunt any other type of tree dogs besides mountain curs? Like I've always uh, had uh, one or two. Uh, I had an old Walker dog that I trained with, old Ruff, and he hunted with or hunted like a cur dog. And I, that was the best of two worlds there, a cur and a hound together. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that works works out pretty good. Curl short in a race. A lot of people say they cheat. They'll go in and run to catch. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard that. Um, you know, that's why they always have the old. That's why that old saying of "you want the fur hunter cur" is around. Yeah. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll stop about anything and. Uh, and and shorten the race. Uh, they they won't just follow along behind a boar, or bear, and, and and bark. They'll go in and and stop him, turn him around. Now, when you got started, you said you were, you know, hunting hogs. Um, was that all you were hunting, or were you hunting anything else? Ah, uh, we were hunting bear and uh, bobcat. And a uh, little of everything. Okay. And then I'd hunt all day and then pleasure hunt, coon hunt that night. Same dogs? No. Well, I have, uh, but most of the time I'd have different ones. Okay. Like the old rough dog, uh, I never did hog hunt him, and I uh Coming out of the woods was a man and a bobcat one day, and he he said, I'd like to kill a couple of hogs, and it was a pouring rain. I could have poured it out of a bucket, and I didn't want to go 10 miles and get another dog. And I seen the hogs cross the road, and I hissed old rough a little, and we killed two hogs from him in 30 minutes or more. Well, like Daryl said, versatility is why he liked the camera dogs. Yeah, yeah, you can teach them to do anything, or you can break them off of anything. Mm-hmm. So I have leopards now, but I had some mountain curs, and I had some tree curs, and um, overall, I would say they were probably easier to break and easier to train. Yeah, they got a head full of sense. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that's what makes them uh, such a good-winded dog to... Uh, they got uh, a good nose on them. They got enough brains to use it. Mm-hmm. Nope, I've, I, I would agree with that. I've, I've 
done my fair share of coon hunting with a, a pretty good mountain curve female back when I lived in Ohio and um a lot of it was just the fact that she was she was smart. Yeah. Ohio used to be my best market uh back in uh, about the eighties. Uh coon is expensive up there. Mm-hmm. Oh I bet. And I'd go to the Kenton National mm-hmm. swim race and uh, field trial. I've heard all kinds of stories about that place. People from everywhere grabbing my pups. Like I said, I've heard all kinds of stories about that place. Good and bad. That's all true. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. when did you start the KSBA, which is the Kemmerstock Breeders Association? September of 91. What was your reasoning for doing that? Well, just to tell you like it is, I had been in the original Mount Kerr for 18, 19 years, mm-hmm. and there was so much jealousy in there that I always tried to have the best and do the most and everything. There was so much jealousy. 90% of them hated me and everybody connected with me. Gotcha. And uh, Calvin Boutique started writing a uh, column uh, just to people that had my dogs. And uh, he had a column in full cry a long time before we ever had an organization. Okay. And the people that had my dogs as one that wanted to start it, and they said at that time, 85% of them in the computer was my bud line. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just wanted to get away from that. Gotcha. Uh, see, uh, we had an old gentleman that uh, done the papers with a typewriter back then. <laughs> and uh, it got too big, and I raffled off a pup, and they brought $2,250, and it was a full brother to uh, Gold Nugget JR okay. out of Gold Nugget and Blondie 3, and uh, we put that down on a computer, and and then other people got to helping me, and we bought the computer and everything, and, and hired a girl up in Wisconsin to type it in, and uh, and started uh, on the computer. There you go. You're that early dog's pioneers. name was Old Prize. Huh? I said you were early pioneers in the computer, you know, computerizing it and everything. Yeah, we had a man up there that was real good with them, and of course we used him like a barred mule. And uh, he'd come down here in his station wagon, get it full of paper, and go up there and type it back in. It took a long time. I bet it's a lot quicker now. Yeah, ain't no telling how many's in there now. So you mentioned a couple of dogs just right in that statement, and plus when you were telling the story of Old Rough, a couple of the the big names that you've you've had through the years. Why don't you tell us about a couple of your, you know, the real notable dogs that you've line bred on and that have made a, a big impact in the breed? Well, we start with old Tennessee Mountain Blondie. I think she was the greatest reproducer in the dog world it's ever been. 
and we're working on that bloodline today. I've got a good friend in North Carolina that uh, had a terrible car wreck about 11 years ago or 12 and put him out of commission. But he had a lot of old dogs, and every one of them was 50% Tennessee Mountain Blondie. Okay. And he's still got them today. His name is Ben Lawless. And I'm going to give him credit for saving the second round of the Blondie blood. Because they just about was all gone. And he had saved them, and we've been working on them and got a Got a litter that's right now coming uh, a year old, and uh, he he has saved it. Looks like wow, awesome. we found one female. He had a bunch of males, and he we found one female. Uh, our buddies up in uh, Virginia and Kentucky there owned one, and we got her and brought her down there and bred her to Ben's dog. And the day the pups was five weeks old she eat a plastic water bucket and died oh that's a terrible loss and if anybody got one that's 50% Tennessee Mountain Blondie I'd like to see them bred one of Ben's dogs like like you said I mean I'm sure there's not too many of them still left around unless someone's been very intentional especially that you don't know about yeah see she never was three quartered or nothing Okay. Back then, inbreeding wasn't all that popular, and uh, I never did three-quarter her a bad mistake. Mm-hmm. But so 50% is the best we could get if she was alive. Yeah. And then, of course, she was a um, uh, mother of Gold Nugget and Blondie, too. That was two of her favorites. And Daryl's dog, uh, Stryker, was out of that pair, out of two litter mates. I didn't realize they were litter mates. And then they had another brother, was Yellow Bob, and he was bred to Blondie, too, his litter mate. So Daryl had some of them out there, and I need to get with him someday. Uh, I see if there's one anywhere in that country. Him and his brother had a lot of dogs out there because they hunted hard mm-hmm. on big game, and uh, they may be one tied in somebody's yard out there that we'd like to breed to. Yeah, he he told me he just had a litter out of out of striker semen. Yeah, the female is heavy striker bred female, like a you know a multi generation line bred female that was like a striker granddaughter multiple times or something like that. So while maybe not yeah. 50% blondie blood, it would be fairly close by the sounds of it. I'll tell you what would work. And, uh, and I hope, uh, Daryl gets as excited about it as me and, uh, Ben Lawless, <laughs> them straws he's got. Mm-hmm. Bred to one of uh, Lawless's young females, mm-hmm. we we would have it forever. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. There's a there was a lot of them out here one time. The the Kimmer dogs and our old target, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. 
buddy of mine took him and uh, tuned him up and promoted him and took him to the world hunt in a blizzard in Indiana. There's way over a hundred dogs there, and, and he won that in, in a blizzard. Wow! As Rodney Smith, he's a he's a good a dog man to ever been. Now is he from where you like? Roughly close to you, or no? He was. Uh, he's in Kentucky now. Gotcha. Uh, I just wasn't sure what, but... if that dog was even used to hunting in snow. I know a lot of Kemmers, you know, are, are, are dispersed throughout the South, so I wasn't sure if the dog was from the South or not. Well, he, I sent him to Canada a little while, and okay. uh, he, he was used to it, but I didn't bother them. They'd hunt anywhere. Good show you an example. Uh, Daryl come here one time with old Striker, and we drawed out together with uh, Target, the world champion, and Striker. I don't think Striker had ever seen a coon in his life. <laughs> And he just fell in there and looked like an old pro. That's awesome. Now, through the years that you've been breeding these cameras, have you focused on, on breeding for coon dogs, for hog dogs, for squirrel dogs? I mean, was there any sort of focus for that, or or were you just hunting a little bit of everything? Or We have found out that they're all double cousins, and uh, they will do anything you ask them to. People ask me all the time, if you know where I can get a, a pup that's bred for hogs or bred for coon or bred for squirrel, they'll do anything that you show them. Now, what uh, a squirrel dog will do, these dogs can tree a squirrel, wind a squirrel, and tree it further than your shotgun can kill it. And if you want a squirrel dog, that the squirrel will always be there. These dogs will wind them and just take you straight to the tree. They don't have to walk the logs and smell every stump and sift the sand and all that. They just wind them. Yeah. And they tree coon the same way. I've seen them, if a wind was blowing, would tree a coon several hundred yards and if you'll just stop and shine, you'll see the coon's eye. Nice. And uh, the people don't believe that. I tell them that, and they say, that dog's treeing beside. See, that old man don't know what he's talking about. I know something you also have been working on for a little while are the, the hybrids where you cross them with feist. When did you start doing that? Well, I've always done it. All my life, but I never did call them that till I don't know, 20 years ago or more. Okay. Uh, people got to want squirrel dogs or a smaller dog, you know, that they can uh, ride in the cab of their truck and go hunting or keep them in the house and turn them out and they'll go tree something. Uh, a lot of people just like a smaller dog. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing it for years, and uh, they've got all uh, all the qualities of the Kimmer Curves, just maybe in a smaller portion. Okay, gotcha. I sold one uh, two or three weeks ago, and a day or two before he was eight weeks old, a man tracked up a wounded deer and sent me a picture of him standing on that deer. <laughs> Dang. 
Start young, that's for sure. Yeah, they're just programmed to, to track something. Mm-hmm. Are you still raising and breeding both curs and hybrids then? or? Yeah, we've got two litters of uh, nice little hybrids here now. Got an old cur female. Uh, it's going to happen many times. She looks like she's going to have 12 or 15. Nice. Hopefully she has a nice big litter for you and she raises them all. Yeah. I read, I was doing a little bit of research before we got to talking here tonight, and I, I stumbled across uh, uh, somebody's website, and uh, they had your uh, rules for breeding, and I found them kind of interesting. Would you care to go through them and tell us a little bit about them? Well, uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know that it's anything special. Just uh, you gotta got to make you, you know, these cur dogs, you got to make them love you to start with. You get a pup, I tell them to put it in their pocket, take it with them everywhere they go. And a lot of people think I'm a little nutty, but it works. <laughs> hey, if, if it's worked for you for the, all these years, I'm sure it's the proof's in the pudding and you're com- producing some dogs, some good dogs. So, Yeah. If you want to ruin one, put it in a pen with a south feeder and you'll buy about once a week and throw some feet in that feeder and not handle it. You've got your toe. Mm-hmm. If you'll make it your best friend and ride it around your truck and let the kid pull the hair off of it, it'll, it'll be the best buddy you ever had. Yep. So what else do you look for when you're breeding dogs? I just, uh, I got to have a lot of grit and a lot of, a lot of go, go power or go yonder and a uh, uh, super nose. I got to have a good nose. Well, you saying that kind of goes against what a lot of common thoughts are on curs. Pretty much a lot of people think cur dogs are hot-nosed, close-hunting dogs. So you're saying you want a lot of nose and a lot of hunt. Yeah. So, sorry to we're gonna stop you in the middle of your breeding rules here, but what kind of dogs are you, uh, what, what style of dog do you like then? Like as far as hunt and nose, like... What do you expect out of a dog? Uh, well, I expect them to have a nose good enough that they can tree a squirrel or a coon on top of a tree and, uh, before they ever get to the tree. Okay. And if there's a little bit of breeze blowing, they'll almost stand up in the middle of the field out there on their back feet and walk around like something crazy. Uh, trying to get a little taller to see where uh, which way that breeze is coming from, mm-hmm. and then they they go tree it, and uh, a lot of people uh, have never never seen that in their life. Uh, a dog uh, that can and would do that. Yeah. Now, like, how far out do your dogs hunt typically? Uh, most of the time, they just hunt hard in a half circle around you or something out in front of you. Okay. A um, hundred yards is a long ways in the woods. But then if they uh, smell something there, they go wherever they have to to catch you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just curious. And catch, that's a, that's the name of the game. They they run to catch. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people think they cheat and uh, everything. They'll uh, 
on the smell it, they'll drift and circle and do whatever they got to do to pick up the hot end and leave out. Now, your dogs tend to be silent on track or open? They very few of them are completely open, but if they get excited, they'll they'll open here and there, and you know which way they went. Okay. Well, I guess we can go back to your uh, <laughs> rules of breeding now that I interrupted you. Most of all, you got to have grit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've had a litter of pups of six or eight weeks old. You show them a cage coon or something, they just pile all over that cage and try to tear it out. And it seems like they're just programmed. They'd rather have a coon than anything. Okay. So they got a nose, they got grit, and we never had no trouble with them a hunting. They'll go a hunting. Now, with all that grit, you have a lot of problems with dogs being too gritty, getting killed, starting fights, anything like that? You mean fights with other dogs? Yeah. No, they're not uh, not gritty in that way. I've heard of other breeds and stuff where where when grit's been a focus, it eventually kind of crosses that line to where sometimes a little too much grit equals dog aggression, where a little too much grit equals a suicidal dog on a on a bear or on a boar or on a lion, something like that. Especially especially on big game, it's not really something that happens with coon hunting as much, but. Well, they've got to have brains, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people that's got hog dogs don't like my dog because uh, I always wanted one to stop the hog by grabbing him in a dead run in the rear end and spin him around, and when the hog stops, they're on the other side of him. Okay. And uh, I don't want them to go in and get them by the ear and uh they get him with the ear and stand out in front of them, that hog and all he got to do is just stand there and cut their guts out mm-hmm. but if they'll stop it and be on the other side when the hog stops uh, going in and getting them caught now that's to me that's the bulldog's job yeah and these dogs don't do that well because uh They'd just be all over their head if they even tried it, and, and they wouldn't live long. Okay. But uh, I've never wanted a, a, a catch dog in these dogs. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And as far as aggressive towards other dogs and everything, what makes an old male dog aggressive is uh, if you got two or three males and you're breeding one and not the others and everything, they develop a, a hate for them others. You got to watch how you handle them at home. Interesting. Never heard that, but if you put them in a kennel next to one another, you know, like with a war between them, they might just uh, tear a hole and get a hold of the other because of something he done. uh, He developed a hate for. I've seen that happen with some. They're just like humans. Huh? I said I've seen that happen. Actually, a, a father and a buddy of mine had a father and son had been living in pens next to each other their entire lives and then I don't know the dad was nine or ten years old and the son was like six and all of a sudden one day those two decided they hated each other tried to kill each other yeah through through the pen and yeah 
Yeah, they'll do it even across the yard. They'll see one another over there. Someday, one or the other of them will break a chain or however you keep them. Mm-hmm. If you're uh, breeding one, not breeding the other or something, they, they develop a jealousy. So what else are you looking for when you're breeding dogs? What else? Anything else or am I that about it? Well, I, I want them with a handle on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want them to come and check in with me every little bit. If they're not on a track, I want them to come and see about me. Okay. And I've had them more than more than a dozen. If you, I like to used to like to walk old log roads in the woods, and eventually that road will fork. And I've seen them dogs come back and stand at that fork to see which way, which fork I was going to take. Okay. And then they would go go that way hunt. Good deal. And uh, then they go in a straight line, and you have to. Look for them. I never had a tracking collar. And uh, if you lose your dog every time you take them or something, I don't, don't want them dogs. Mm-hmm. They got to have brains. I think that's common with a lot of guys that run cur dogs. They, that's what they, they like. The allure of a cur dog over a hound is, is the handle and the brains. From most guys that I've talked to, or most of what I've read. Yeah. I would say I'm, a, I'm, Kind of in that boat. That's why I run leopards. I float that middle ground. They're kind of a cur dog. Yeah. Even though the UKC says they're hounds. <laughs> uh, I, I guess in the dictionary or wherever they describe a cur dog as being a mutt or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe 200 years ago, a cur dog might have been from a farm shepherd that herded the cows and an old bulldog that, uh, that caught the hogs and that's where they got the hot nose and the ill temper and uh, and everything. But these are different altogether. They've been bred for a hundred years to to be hunters. Yep. There's a book out that's called Cumberland County's First Hundred Years. Okay. People used to go from uh, the east or to west, and they'd cross through here and they'd tie tree to their wagon and go down them hills the tree would hold them back well one family had a terrible wagon wreck here in grassy cove and killed their mules all but one and they had to settle here and their uh, offspring is still here friends of mine okay and uh they're uh fords and they got here about three years before the kimbers and uh Anyway, they had to settle here in this valley with a pair of brindle bobtail dogs. And one of them's name was Dinwiddie after the governor of Virginia. <laughs> and them dogs, uh, the brindle color produced both black and yellow and brindle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same old dogs are still here. Yep. So you, you mentioned the color. Most Kemmers that I see are yellow, but you do occasionally see brindle and black. Is there any other colors that you are out there as far as Kemmers? No, not in my breed. Okay. There, uh, there used to be some blue ones. You know, our war hero, Sergeant York's family, brought some blue ones in this uh, country. 
back when he'd come home from the war, I guess, and uh, and uh, the blue ones produced the chocolates, and uh, I don't have any of that. Uh, it's in the original mountain curve. Mm-hmm. I've hunted but, with a uh, fair amount of mountain I've only ever hunted with one camera, and uh, he was, I was actually looking to buy the dog. He was uh, owned by a, a dog trader, basically, and the guy who had owned him prior had passed away, and so the trader that owned him didn't really know much about him, and he had some, some issues that I chose not to take on, <laughs> which I'm not saying it was the dog like you said. I'm sure handler was the was the main issue that created those issues. So that's the only camera yeah. I've ever hunted. So, but I've hunted with quite a few mountain curs, and so I'm very familiar with the breed. And I've hunted with quite a few blue ones, actually. Uh, blue ones, a mountain cur or leopards? Yeah. Mountain curs. Yeah. Buddy of mine in Kentucky, Dave Glazebrook, uh, he liked the blue ones, and he's like me, he's getting too old to have a lot of dogs now, but he specialized in them blue ones for, for years, and okay, and uh, there's still a few around. Mm-hmm. But talking about the uh, leopard curves, uh, you may or may not know this, there was some leopard uh, leopard breeder. I had my old target dog up in uh, Canada mm-hmm. uh, being hunted, and uh, they would take leopard dogs to Canada and breed to him. And some of them would come uh, reddish, dark yellow, yep. and they actually started a new breed with them, called them Camus Curs. Oh, I thought, I thought those were the Canadian Curs up there. That got started with cameras across the leopards. They did. They uh, they bred him to everything up there. That's what started the Canadian curs. Yeah, because I I read and a, the cabbage. a big history on the Canadian cur. And I mean, I think the first two dogs was actually like you kind of said it was it was a border collie and a and a German short hair. They bred those two together, and then they line or they like inbred those pups cold really hard and then when they started out crossing they started out crossing to kemmers and leopards if i remember correctly I, but i saw some pictures of some of those canadian curs and they are exactly what you're saying they were like a brownish leopard color there was a man passed through here one night and he uh, called me and asked me if i had a dog named target I told him i did and i finally wanted to know why he was asking all these questions and he said well I just bought me a dog and went and tried him out. He had the best nose I ever seen on a dog. And I asked the breeder where that nose come from. They said it come out of that old uh, target dog of Kimmers. Okay. And, uh, you know, I ain't going to say a whole lot more because the gentleman's dead, but they kept the road hot of breeding running dogs from South Carolina to Canada. Gotcha. So what's the future look like for the KSBA? What's the future? Mm-hmm. I wish I knew. I mean, I'm saying like when when, when you pass away, is the KSA, KSBA going to close up shop or do you think it'll keep on rolling? And It's going to close up shop. 
there's not enough uh, enough hunters and interested people anymore that care about keeping them pure. Gotcha. And the uh, biggest mistake I ever made was having a KSBA. Why do you say that? Well, see, when they were going to break off from the uh, ridge of the mountain curve, we started, uh, I started to set up my own register and, uh, and register them everything because I just had enough of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had a Toyota pickup full of papers and the day that we had a, get together here and I was going to start registering. My daughter was going to register them and everything and some of the people that had the dogs said we'd like to buy you out and have association and we got to have the registers and all of that so I give in. Well, we were going to be good old boys and we let the original mountain curve some of them in because uh, they were having a lot of problems and they wanted some place to register theirs, and we let them in. Mm-hmm. And then we had to start getting them out because they brought walkers with their tails cut off, half bulldog, Weimaraners, and everything. And they didn't want a breed club. My idea was to keep them bred pure and everything, and they wanted a hunt club. Okay. You know, They'll do anything in the world. A lot of people, now I'm not talking about everybody, a lot of people will do anything to get a $3 trophy so they can sell more pups. Gotcha. And they just made a mess out of it in a hurry. I think there's still quite a bit of infighting over there, over that same issue. From the outside. Over in the or the original, yeah, just from the outside looking in. Yeah, they uh, they all hate me over, and they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't five people in that whole club know me if I walked in the clubhouse because I've not been there in thirty years. But they've heard from the old timers uh, how a sorry rascal I am. <laughs> gotcha so if you could do it over again what would you do I would uh, set me up a register and register them and keep them pure and know what went in them and if people wanted them they could uh, get them and then they could go register them in KC UKC wherever but I wouldn't let no junk in them gotcha I made a lot of enemies. With, uh, I made a lot of my friends mad at me because, uh, you know, they buy a pup in good faith and uh, and find out someday that it's not the real thing. And I, and no matter what I do, see, there's always been two sides. Mm-hmm. And damn for do and damn for don't. I'm going to be a bad guy either way. Yeah. And I'm just trying to keep my mouth shut and let the board of directors and everything handle it because I can tell them I've been fighting this junk since 73. Gotcha. 
Speaking of the original Mount Curry, I got to tell you this story. You know, you probably heard of the 7-H Gold Nuggets. No, I don't, can't say I have. We kept breeding, inbreeding, inbreeding Gold Nuggets right on down to his daughters till we got them up to 7-H. They never was but two females bred out of Gold Nugget himself. We had a lot of 7-H Gold Nuggets, but it's 7-H, bred to 7-H and all that, but he never mm-hmm. produced but two females. <laughs> and I had one here I thought was the grandest thing since sliced bread. Rodney Smith had just won that big world hunt with Target. Mm-hmm. He come down here, and me and him, and uh, two or three more went down to my kennel, and that female was in there, and we said, now we're going to breed her tomorrow to Target. I went down there the next morning, took old Target down there to breed that female, and they was five gates and doors open, and she was gone. Whoa. And somebody went in there that night and got her. And it took me ten and a half years to figure out who it was. Mm-hmm. The old boy that used to come to my house every weekend, and I'd pretty much let him have whatever he wanted. He wanted the female to breed to his neighbor's dog. I was going to get him one, but I wasn't going to give him that one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she disappeared. Bred her to his neighbor's big old rental dog. Raised some fine pups. But she ended up with phony original mountain cur papers on her. Mm-mm. And the blood is still in there today. Crazy. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to explain a little bit more about these cameras to me. Um, like I said, I, other than talking to Daryl, I really didn't know too much about them. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Talk to me tonight. Well, uh, it it couldn't exist or wouldn't have existed all these years without people like Daryl and Bill, his brother, and all their boys and, and uh, old Rodney Smith and them people that uh, promoted them and uh, everything. And uh, now Calvin, he's raising some of this bloodline and he's uh, uh, caging squirrel dogs and and they just, a lot of people are helping mm-hmm. stuff I couldn't do all by myself, but I want you to keep an eye on Ben Lawless. He goes by Zane Lawson on the Facebook. But now he's going to be the savior of the luck, I say, the, the second round of these curves. Gotcha. Well, I'll definitely, I'll definitely keep an eye out. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep them talking in the timber.